Hi. Welcome to the CJB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with the president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League, Jamie Bettens, as one of their grads starting on the mound for the Winnipeg Gold Eyes, a Winnipegger for the first time in 13 years playing for the Gold Eyes. That's pretty cool. Then you'll hear from Sean Grassy, who's working with Sport Manitoba, on a new book outlining the history of Manitoba sport over 150 years, and a quick trip to Bombers training camp where Bob Irving talked to Adam Big Hill. That's on the podcast. Ryan Johnson making history on the mound for the Gold Eyes, first Winnipegger in over a dozen years to suit up for the fish. 26-year-old, a grad of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League, and the president, Jamie Bettens, joins me now. How big a deal is this, Jamie? It's a, it's a significant moment. It's, it's been quite some time. I believe the last MJBL player to, uh, to suit up in the, in the American Association slash Northern League was Donnie Smith, so that's quite some time. And, and with Donnie being a, a Hall of Famer now with the Winnipeg Gold Ice franchise, it's a bit of uh, big shoes to fill, but uh, if there's anybody that can do it, it's, it's a guy like Ryan Johnson. So huge moment for the MJBL and for Baseball Manitoba. St. James A's minor baseball and uh, the home run sports training facility. Everybody's going to be watching. According to the Gold Eyes, Donnie Smith was the last Winnipegger to suit up at least for the Gold Eyes back in 2006. So it has certainly been a while. What does this mean? You know, when players in your league see something like this, what does that do for them? Well, I think it has to show opportunity, and then that's really what one of the uh, the main things that our league tries to represent to the players from an executive perspective is, you know, this is a great place to play, whether you're a high school athlete or a college athlete or somebody returning home from college or somebody with professional aspirations. It's possible to come from the Manitoba Junior Baseball League, apply your trade, and then move on to other circles that then hopefully lead to that. We have uh, a few other players, you know, from the MJBL playing in Europe right now, and we have some at Division One colleges we have some still playing in the world series uh for college baseball at, at the levels as well right now so you know it really is a good time for the Manitoba junior baseball league to kind of be recognized and, and we certainly appreciate that ryan uh, can now help pave the road for maybe future players as well what is the number of players that go on from your league to to play in colleges in the states whether it's at a level like like Johnson at Lubbock Christian University, which is you know not it's not Texas, but it's it's a pretty good university. And how many decide to just go elsewhere and just kind of start their life afterwards? Yeah, it, um, first of all, you know the baseball landscape is, is is very different. You know Lubbock Christian is not as maybe well known of a school, but it is very highly regarded for baseball. And there's a lot of places that our players go that, you know, maybe people haven't heard of Campbellsville University where we have an MJBL alum as an assistant coach and, and Randy LeBlue there. Uh, we have players like that. And, and, you know, then they also go to Mayville state, but then we have guys at Virginia tech and we have, you know, guys at some big time division one schools, Creighton university off the top of my head as well. The percentage of players is a little bit lower just because we have a significantly large pool with seven to eight teams every year. Um, but every team and every area seems to have, you know, at least two or three and some as high as four or five players that are continuing their education and their athletic pursuits in some way. Um, I think it's also kind of interesting that, you know, our league also has a lot of 
MJHL hockey players that are, you know, going on to college pursuits or going on to other things as well. So we really do have uh, a great league with a bunch of athletes and uh, our towns support it very well. And uh, our local areas, you know, are very proud of that too. I like having you on once a month or so to talk about what's going on in the MLB as well. So Let's start with the Toronto Blue Jays. Obviously a tough time for them. We knew they weren't going to win a lot of games this year. 21-34 and 34 heading into a series finale in Tampa Bay tonight. But Vladimir Guerrero giving you hope for the future? Yeah, he definitely is. Um, you know, I think, you know, seeing BGO and uh, some of the other guys coming up as well, I think the Blue Jays are, they've signaled to the fan base that it is a rebuild and whatnot, but by by letting these guys come up and get their reps, I I think what they're doing is they're actually probably maintaining the fan base a little bit better, um, at least better than a successful team like the Tampa Rays are doing. Uh, I mean, we'll touch base on that in a second, but, you know, when you see these guys and you see them hustling, you see them working hard in the lineup, you know, Toronto's a, a big-time city, but they also like kind of the blue-collar approach. They like seeing the guys working hard and trying. And right now, with the Raptors doing so well, um, they're not going to have a whole bunch of support just yet. But when that season's over and they start to see those guys heat up a little bit more and maybe uh, have a little more experience at the big league level, they might see a little bit of success come August and uh, and get a glimpse of the future. And certainly the pitching is a big problem for Toronto. Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez are names that are mentioned as possible trade targets. They're still in their 20s. But Aaron Sanchez is a guy who's super talented, just can't stay healthy with the blisters. Yeah, if uh, if it were me, I, I think I think um, we're going to see him shift into a bullpen role sometime this summer if he's not traded beforehand. Um, but I think they might see what they have in, in some sort of closer type it seems to me that this is becoming a bit of a longevity issue. And when he pitches a little bit deeper into games and it, that area tends to kind of wear down um, or break down, so to speak, it, it's where the issues start to occur. At first it was cold weather and now it's, you know, there, there's all sorts of different ways to be looking at it. If they can limit the amount of pitches, you know, in that area, then I think they might have something. And he started his career as a blue Jay kind of in the bullpen. Um, so we might have something there. It's unfortunate to, invest into that kind of development and not get full use of it. So if they need to move into the bullpen, it does solidify it, but then that creates a pretty significant hole in the rotation. You mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays attendance. Last night was their lowest announced attendance in their history of under 6,000 people. This team is right now right near the top of the AL East. They're one of the top teams in the league, but consistently year after year, they are last place in attendance. Their ballpark sucks. What is the solution here for Major League Baseball? Well, I'm going to take off my MJBL president hat for a second and put on my um, Major League Baseball super fan hat. I think it's great because the recent announcement that the Montreal group has kind of got land approval and some, some work towards making a new stadium. So to me, that as a fan, that news is great because that only – signifies to the league owners and to the league that you know Montreal is ramping up just as they're continuing to show even in a threatened state with a very successful team that might even make the playoffs and go for and go deep into it and they're still not supporting it Uh, as a fan I think it's great because that team will probably end up in Montreal Um, but from a baseball perspective um, you know, it's the area. I mean, that's great for spring training when you have the retirees and, and, and whatnot down there that love to go to those games. 
but during the hot summer months, it's it's just not uh, it's not as top of mind. Florida struggles with attendance as well, and it just unfortunately isn't working there. Uh, a new stadium would be a better solution, but it seems like they have trouble getting that accomplished as well. I think from a selfish Canadian standpoint, yeah, we'd we'd love to see that team playing in front of fans in Montreal. I think you're right. I think a lot of people agree with that sentiment. Well, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for some some very serious rivalries to kind of come back as well. Um, you know, the the history behind it. I mean, the 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 Expos logo continues to sell at from a product level as far as jerseys and hats, and you can't go anywhere down uh, Provence Boulevard or in you know the St. Boniface area or anywhere for that matter in Winnipeg and not see an Expos hat somewhere. It's it's there's still a love for it. Uh, it's not going to go away anytime soon, and it could ramp up if they announce that they may have a chance at getting a team. Still probably many years away. Uh, just before I let you go, just down the road, the Minnesota Twins right now have 37 wins. They have the most wins in Major League Baseball. They are crushing the ball. They're on pace for a record number of home runs. Is what we're seeing in Minnesota sustainable? Um, I, I, it is and it isn't. I, I think it is because what they the biggest – off-season acquisition I think they made was Rocco Baldelli, and he's their manager with a very, very high, highly regarded resume, and he hasn't been too far away from the game as a player, so he really is in tune with his players. He then, you know, kind of worked with the front office to get the right type of players that he wanted. So from that perspective, yes, it's sustainable if they can continue to get players that buy into a system. However, it is difficult to go out and get six or seven free agents in an off season and then uh, expect to just all of a sudden shoot up to the to the top of the leaderboard right off the bat. That was a little surprising, I think, to a lot of people. But if they can continue to buy into Rocco's plan, um, you might have guys kind of uh, jonesing to get there at some point and want to play in Minnesota, which is great because that's kind of the model for small market franchises and maybe even Toronto as well. Jamie, appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Take care. Uh, so to celebrate Manitoba's 150th birthday next year, Sport Manitoba is teaming up with author Sean Grassi to create a book featuring 150 iconic Manitoba sports stories to raise money for the Kids Sport Manitoba charity. And Sean joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Good evening, Sean. Hey, good evening. How are you doing, Christian? Doing well, Sean. Uh, how did you yeah, get good. How did you get involved in this project? Yeah, I just approached Sport Manitoba. I was looking for another writing project. I wrote a curl and history book that was published in uh, 2012 by Great Plains Publications, uh, history of uh, sort of Manitoba curling, and um, I thought it might be a timely project as Manitoba turns 150 uh, in 2020. So, sort of capture all stories from different eras, different sports. Um, I mean, there will be some professional with bombers and jets and goal eyes, but lots of amateur stories, maybe some stories that people aren't aware of some, uh, you know, champion athletes and, and teams, university level, um, you know, like I said, amateur professional, try to cover all the basis. Uh, the story is all like the 67 and 99 Pan Am games, uh, Canada games that have been in Winnipeg and in Brandon stories on arenas and stadiums uh, in Winnipeg, um, different members of the media, so trying to cover all the angles and many different sports and different kinds of stories as we can capture. How many stories have you finished so far? Um, I've done about 30 that I've completed so far um, and done, done research for quite a few more and, you know, trying to line up interviews and all that. So 
kind of always working on a bunch of stories at the same time. So I'll be sort of writing one story and then, you know, preparing for an interview for a story for the next day kind of thing. So always kind of lots on the go, but it's been lots of fun. I like doing the research, talking to different people, and uh, it's been a very enjoyable experience. And there is a, a way that people can kind of give you their stories, right? Just send them in suggestions. Yeah, so we're looking for a few more story ideas. Um, of the 150, we probably would have, what, 145 that we've sort of settled on right now. So still trying to round out the list. Um, there is an article on the Kidsport Manitoba website. And um, if you go to the sort of news section, the first item there is a story on the book. And it puts down the email address um, if people want to submit a story idea, they can go there. Okay. Now, how many of these did you kind of come up with on your own? How much of it was kind of like a, a team idea to, to a panel idea to come up with the stories? Yeah, I sent in an original draft list. I was sort of preparing a proposal for the project. Um, you know, I mostly went through the uh, Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame profiles online and gathered a whole bunch of stories. It's actually hard to whittle down the list, too. I had you know, well over 150. Uh, it's hard to sort of narrow it down with so many great stories. Um, then Rick Brownlee from uh, Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, you know, sort of had a big input too and put a bunch of stories he thought should be on the list. Uh, and then from there, we sort of gathered a tentative list and then we met, um, the panel met, I guess, last month. Um, yeah, Terry Fry from Manitoba Sports Writers Sportscaster Association uh, was on the panel as well as Jim Bender, um, former Winnipeg Sun writer and then Rick Brownlee and um, Jeff Natchuk and Evan Andrews from Sport Manitoba. So then we just had a meeting and, um, you know, kind of discussed uh, some other possible stories we could add to the list. And uh, especially from the early years too, we're kind of initially maybe short on some of the early years, late 1800 stories. So everyone sort of had some input and, you know, chose maybe three or four stories each uh, sort of panel member. Obviously, I don't want to spoil what's going to be in the book, but can you say, kind yeah. of lay out the timeline? Or is it kind of equal footing stories in the early days of Manitoba compared to the more recent stories? Yeah, it's probably um, equal. I mean, there might be, on the whole, more current stories on average compared to, say, late 1800s, early 1900s stories. But, but we tried to include as much as we could um, from that era. As many different sports as we could, as well. So, yeah, there'll be definitely a good, uh, good variety. Anyway, how much have you learned so far in this process? Yeah, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, I sort of had general knowledge of a lot of these stories, but that was sort of about it. Um, you know, for example, researching the first Blue Bomber Grey Cup win in 1935. Um, one of the players, Fritz Hansen, had a 78-yard um, punt return touchdown and actually had over 300 yards total just in punt returns. And at that time, there was no blocking allowed in returns. So you kind of learned different rules like that. There's no blocking allowed. Players played multiple positions. It's not like you had a guy that was a wide receiver, a guy that was defensive back, and that's all they played. They were playing multiple positions, you know, doing kicking and returning kicks, playing offense, defense. Touchdowns were worth five points. At the time, learning lots of different rules. Um, yeah, every story you kind of learn a new angle. Like Corey Kosky, um, great from Manitoba baseball player that played with the Minnesota Twins. He was a multi-sport athlete. Actually, had a offered a scholarship to play hockey in the U.S. and also uh, was offered a volleyball scholarship to play at the University of Manitoba. 
team coached by Garth Pischke, one of the top teams in Canada. And he actually turned that down to play on that top volleyball team to uh, take out a student loan and play in a college at Boone, Iowa. Sort of just on a whim, he thought I'd take this chance. And next thing you know, it led to a great baseball career. So, yeah, within every story, you sort of find something interesting that you maybe didn't know. And I think that's sort of one of the ideas behind the project is people may have some general knowledge about some of these stories, but you can sort of sort of add some uh, detail on some tidbits along the way. Obviously, as a writer, you know a lot about deadlines. What is the deadline for you to finish this? Well, we like to have it out um, on the shelves for December 1st uh, this year, So, which means having it done pretty well by the end of the summer, early fall, to allow time for some editing and design and printing and all that. So, yeah, I'm pretty much working uh, every spare moment I have. Uh, I also instruct tennis um, for a job, so sort of in between tennis lessons. I'm always working on the book um, as much as I can. Well, Sean, I wish you the best of luck, and I look forward to reading what you come up with. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. Bob Irving today spoke with linebacker Adam Big Hill about his playing time in Friday's upcoming preseason game against Edmonton. Preseason. I asked Matt Nichols the other day, how much would you like to play? He said, I'm not sure. Let me ask you, how much would you like to play? I mean, I want to I wanna play uh, you know, pretty bad just because uh, I want to be out there with my teammates. And, and um, man, I love the game of football. I love hitting people. And, uh, you know, I just want to get back at it. Is there, though, a, a sort of a route you have to follow in a preseason game that might be different from a regular season game? Well, I mean, I think the preparation is always going to be a bit different because you know you're going to go play a full game. Um, you know, you, you don't really have any stats on your opponent and, and their game plan, and uh, they're not really game planning us. We're not really game planning them. We're just going out trying to execute our stuff. And, you know, so it's really just tuning up, just, just sharpening our, our own blades and, um, you know, just building that chemistry with our team. So is it kind of a, a looser approach in a preseason game because there's not so much preparation on either side? I wouldn't say it's a looser approach, but I would say it's just different because, um, you know, still in training camp, you're trying to master yourself. You're trying to master your own uh, chemistry and you master your own uh, abilities. And when it comes to preseason or uh, regular season, you want to be able to take that mastery onto now applying that to what your opponent's about to do. So uh, that's kind of the process. I know you've, you've been asked before in camp how you feel about this team and the way it's looking now. Give me your assessment of the 2019 Blue Bombers at this moment. I mean, at this moment, we got a lot of high-character guys, a high-level high, high, high level of talent on this, on this team, and I'm excited to see how it's all going to fall out because, um, you know, there's going to be some hard decisions, and, um, you know, it's one of those things you wish you can keep everybody. Um, but I'm excited to see some of these young guys playing and see what they can do. Willie Jefferson, what has this addition meant? I mean, he's just dynamic. You know, he, he's a dynamic player. They can do a lot of things. And, um, you know, we, we're a team that loves to use multiple personnel packages and, and bring, bring talent onto the field. And we're going to have an ability to do a lot of different things with Willie on the field. He's really unique. Uh, one of the players said the other day, in two strides, he's covered 10 yards. And you don't see defensive ends like that very often, do you? No, I mean, he's obviously a rare breed. I mean, how many people do you see in the league like him? No, nobody. He's, he's a one of a kind. And, uh, you know, that's why he's able to do the things he does. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, um, you know why we brought him here and then he's been great getting to know him because he's a great guy he works hard and and uh, he's about the team and he's just a great fit for our locker room so there's a real good feeling here at least I sense that 
It was a great feeling. I mean, you know, we, we know what we did last year. This year isn't about last year. We, we know uh, we can build on what, what we were building last year, and I feel like we're going to be able to get a start fast, uh, fast start because of that. You talk about continuity in sport. you got the same coaching staff and some player changes as always, but there's a lot of continuity here. Yeah, there's enough continuity to the fact that, you know, we're, we're communicating and, and rolling at a high level on day one. And here we are, uh, you know, about 12 days in the camp. And, um, you know, we got, you know, the playbook and more put in. And, and the communication has been smooth and easy. And it just feels like we're really picking up where we left off. Kyrie Wilson going to be beside you where Santos Knox was before? Uh, you know, that's that's the thing we're looking at right now. And, it, I mean, it looks – I mean, it, I think it's definitely his job to win. And, uh, you know, it's been it's been great working with Kyrie this pre, uh, you know, preseason camp already. And uh, he's a very talented player. He works extremely hard. And, and, man, I'm just excited to see what he can do out there on uh, game day. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell. Or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?